Jackie, help me to to um, be faithful to to preaching your gospel this morning. Um, I pray, Lord, that that um, you'll be with the folks who are here. And um, despite my frailty and my my tendency to to stumble and make mistakes, Lord, I pray that you would you would speak through me to them and and that they would hear from you. Um, I pray, Lord, that uh, folks would hear you and know you uh, as a result of my preaching this morning, as a result of hearing the gospel. Um, In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we are working our way through the book of Acts very slowly. We're not going to finish it before Christmas. I'm just letting you know. Uh, I think we're going to do one more Acts or two more Acts sermons, and then uh, Jeremy will start Christmas for us uh, in in a couple weeks while I'm in Hawaii. Um, And so... uh, um, we've, what we've been focusing on, we haven't done verse by verse as I normally would with a book. We've jumped over some sections um, because we've been focusing on uh, the, the idea of the body of Christ and what the body of Christ looks like as it's in action. And, and in, our, in our series so far, we've talked about, um, about conversion. We've talked about a, a lot of different aspects of this. Um, and we're going to shift this week away from Paul because um, we, we saw Paul's conversion last week and, and the early days of his, of his uh, uh, life as a believer um, and how he just he told people about Jesus, and that's what he did. Um, and we're going we're gonna to talk about Peter. Um, Peter's kind of an odd duck in the early church, and there's a lot of um, interesting conversations surrounding him. This is after some, some early persecution, and Peter was driven from the city of Jerusalem pretty early on, right? And he was replaced by James, who became the head of the church at that point. And Peter kind of traveled around and, and was sort of a disciple at large until Nero came along and, and crucified him. Um, and so we, we have um, where, where Peter is kind of one of these early apostles. He's a very major figure. Um, he lived for a number of years after Christ ascended, but um, like 30-ish years um, and we have a couple of letters he wrote, but there's a whole lot of gray in there. We don't know exactly what he was doing. Um, as we dive into this, we're, we're, we're going to differentiate a little bit from the Catholic Church. So we're not Catholic. I'm sorry, guys. Um, the Catholic Church believed that Christ, like, like um, that Peter stepped into Christ's role after the ascension. And we, we don't agree with that. We don't, we're not, I'm not attacking Catholics. Don't hear me saying that. Um, but, but Peter is not Christ. The church is the body of Christ on earth, right? The church is, um, is, is like acting out Christ's mission and his work for us. And, and, um, Peter is exemplifying that. And Luke is going to really draw that out here, but I, I'm going to clarify, um, I'm not preaching that Peter became Jesus. All right. Everybody with me? I, I don't mean to offend our Catholic friends. I, if you all are here, I'm sorry, but that's, it's just not what I'm talking about. So I want a disclaimer up front. Before I dive into that, I want to talk about Calvin Coolidge for a second. Um, Calvin Coolidge does not appear in the book of Acts, right? Um, I think Craig voted for him. Um, he's not even out there. I don't think he heard me. That's awful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think Craig voted for him. Uh, this photo was taken in 1929, and Coolidge was made fun of for it. Um, Coolidge went on vacation to, to the Black Hills in, in the Dakotas, and, and he, he um, you'll see, I mean, if you look at the picture, he's, he's obviously dressed like a cowboy. Um, it's sort of the cowboy outfit you might buy at a Halloween store. Um, he's got the huge chaps with Calvin Coolidge 
you know, and, and the giant hat. And actually, there's some great photos of him wearing the giant hat. Uh, here's a close-up. And, and the press made fun of him for this. Like, he was, he was mocked mercilessly. And his response was, that, that's fine. You know, I, I know I'm not a cowboy. I, I, but I was living out my childhood dream. You know, and, and um, I wanted to start with this because um, I, 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 uh, I, I never really understood cowboys well until I lived in a ranching, farming ranching community. I know they're not the same. Um, but, but Coolidge, Coolidge isn't, I mean, guys, do you look at that and think cowboy? No? I mean, like, does anybody envision Coolidge breaking horses dressed like this? I mean, outwardly, he has this appearance of cowboy. Inwardly, he is, like, he, he's not. Like, and, and you can look outside, like, all kinds of things, Right? I mean, it's easy to look like stuff. I could go out and buy cowboy boots and a hat, but, you know, nobody would be tricked by that. You all know I'm, you know, pretty, I got soft hands and, you know, I'm probably allergic to horses. So, you know, like there ain't no fool in anyone on this front. Like he is, he is just not that. Um, I start with this because um, we're going to see Peter do some things in this, in this text today that are examples of him living out Christ's mission. And this is an inside-out kind of reality, right? This is a byproduct, the Holy Spirit taking up residence in Peter and changing him into a person who is like Jesus. And he does some things that, that Luke shows us are, are directly in line with what Christ did. Um, and that is a result of an inward-outward change. Um, it is not an outward appearance alone. Um, you'll see where, where Christ himself was very critical of folks who are all about the outward appearance, right? That's the phrase whitewashed tombs. Y'all, y'all have heard this one? Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs because outside they looked pretty, but inside they were full of death and rot and decay. Um, and, and this is the differentiator. I'm not saying that Calvin Coolidge is full of death and rot and decay, just that he's not a cowboy. Um, he has an outward appearance, but not an inward reality. Um, and so as we dive into the text, we're going to, before we get to Acts, we're going to read John real quick. And this is Jesus talking. And, and I, I wanted to draw out this idea. Very truly I tell you, he's talking to his disciples, um, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Um, And so what Jesus is saying here is, listen, I'm on your team. I'm going to go. I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And as my people, when you act, I will act on your behalf. This is like, uh, I use this example a lot. When Abby was a little younger, and she would play with, we would have those big five-gallon water bottles. And for some reason, these were the most entertaining toy in the house, um, probably because they're the ones that could hurt her. Um, and she would want to move them around and climb on top of them. But Abby, Abby still doesn't weigh as much as a water bottle, right? Like, like she, is, she is slight of build, and she doesn't eat. And, and so, um, you know, if she wanted to move a water bottle, she would pull on it, pull on it, tag on it, and yank it. And eventually she would turn and say, Dad, move this for me, Right? And then amazingly, that water bottle was able to move. She could move water bottles if I did it with her, right? On her own, she completely lacked ability to do so. Um, And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, 
You operate in harmony with my will. You operate in harmony with my mission. You will do amazing stuff because I'll help you, right? Now, to clarify, that doesn't mean like, you know, I'm, I'm going to name and claim my Ferrari or my new jet. You know, I am praying that God will give me a Gulfstream jet, and I'm pretty sure you guys, you know, you guys know I need one, so let's all pitch in and we'll buy Erica Gulfstream. That's not how it works, right? <laughs> like, like, that would be the opposite because I don't think it's God's will that I get a Gulfstream jet. Maybe a hot tub, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, all right, so that is up there. Like, Jesus says, listen, you guys will do great things in my name because I'm going to do them for you. I am on your team. I am working with you. And so we jump into Acts, away from John, um, with those words in mind, that you will do greater things because I will do them through you. Like, I am here. I am on your team. I'm going to work with you. So Acts 9, we, we, Paul has left the country, shipped off home to Tarsus, where he stays for 10 years, And then he goes to, as Peter traveled across the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydia, or in Lydda. Lydda is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem, up toward the coast. Um, There he found a man named Aeneas, uh, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Um, So real quick, this is a man who, we don't know if he was a believer or not, but he is a man who was paralyzed, who had not walked in a number of years, who was, was bedridden. Um, Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Now listen to this. Get up and roll up your mat. Anybody, does that, does that phrase ring a bell? Like, it, it rings a bell probably because Peter saw Jesus heal a lame man. And he told the lame man, get up and roll up your mat and go home. That was at, um, at the pool of, uh, uh, not Siloam, uh, Bethesda, thank you. Um, it was at the pool of Bethesda. But he like, like he literally performs a miracle the way Jesus did it, using the same words. Um, immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and, and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And so what Peter's just done, right, he heals this man who's lame. The man gets up, rolls up his mat, and leaves. Um, I think that Peter said it this way. I think... Part of what we're seeing in Luke's writing is intentionally drawing a parallel. And so he says, Jesus Christ heals you, not like I heal you, right? He, he acknowledges that Jesus is doing it, right? You will do even greater things. He heals this man, and a bunch of people convert. Um, that's impressive, right? Parallel to Jesus, straight up, like it is right there. So we jump to the next one. In Joppa, which is modern-day Joppa, I actually went there in January. Uh, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas, uh, which I assume is why she went by Tabitha. Um, she, thank you for laughing at that. I thought that would lay in flat. That um, She was always doing good and helping the poor. Um, so Tabitha is a person who is, is a believer, She's always out. She's helping the poor. She's helping the less fortunate. She is a person who um, is living out this Christ-like thing that she's been called to do, um, serving the way Christ served. Um, About the time she became sick and died, her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Um, this story is going to parallel two things, right? Um, 
most prominently, it's going gonna, it's gonna to parallel the story of Jairus' daughter, right? Jairus um, sends for Jesus, come and, come and heal my daughter. And Jesus is on the way to heal the daughter, and, and the daughter dies. And, you know, messengers show up and say, hey, don't bother, she, she passed away, right? Um, and so, please, come at once. Peter, was, Peter went with them. Um, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him their robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So like Dorcas, or Lydia, I mean Dorcas, uh, Tabitha, part of what she did was she served by making clothing for poor, like widows, and she, she cared for the, the helpless and the marginalized. It was a really big deal. Um, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees pray, and prayed, turning toward the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. Seeing Peter, she sat up and took her. he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So Peter shows up. And, and he heals this woman. He says, Tabitha, get up. And she gets up and he shows her, hey, she's alive. And this becomes this big thing. We're going to jump back to the book of Mark. Um, while Jesus was speaking with some people, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Remember this story? Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of, J- uh, the brother of James. So Peter and the sons of thunder. Um, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Peter saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but just asleep. But they laughed at him. And he put them all out. By the way, what did Peter do when he arrived? Sent them all out. First thing, right? Clear the room. Everybody get out. And so he clears the room. Nobody's there. Um, He put them out, and he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, meaning Peter witnessed this, and he went in where the child was. He turned to her. He took her by the hand, which is what Peter did, right, and said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, that's in Aramaic, and so he says, Talitha kum. Now, when Peter heals Tabitha, he goes into the room, he kicks everyone out, he takes her by the hand, and he says, not Talitha kum, but Tabitha kum. Like, almost the same phrase. There's like a letter difference there. And she, um, immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Um, at this, they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Um, so what we've just seen Peter do is Peter has gone to the home of, 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 um, of this, this woman, and he heals her, and he heals her almost identically to how Jesus healed uh, Jairus' daughter. And so Luke, now Luke is smart, right? We talked about this last week. Luke was a doctor. Um, Admittedly, back then, doctoring, not quite what it is today. He probably didn't go to nine years of medical school or anything like that. Um, but he was a very well-educated man. He was somebody that we know was, 
was uh, trained for medicine, but that usually meant a great deal of classical education. Luke knew how to argue. Luke knew how to present a point on text. Um, he's actually kind of one of the ancient masters of this style of writing. And so Luke, for him to do this, would have been intentional. And it would have been something that everyone would have recognized. This story from Mark, like, this, this is well circulated. People knew this. And so it's not an accident that these parallels are there. He's intentionally drawing his audience in and saying, hey, look, Peter's doing what Jesus did. Peter is doing exactly what Jesus did. And I'm certain there's probably a great deal of recollection of the fact that, Peter, or that Jesus said to his disciples, you'll do the things I've done and even greater, right? And we see the very beginning of this, like, as it spreads out. Um, what does it mean by greater? Does it mean that I should be able to, you know, snap my fingers and bring people back to life? I don't think so. Um, I mean, maybe, um, but I don't think that's my spot in the world. I don't think that's God's will for, for what I'm doing. Um, because what Jesus said is, listen, um, these things, I'll let you do them, uh, or I'll do them when I'm with you. Like, if you're doing these things in my name, if I'm on your team, if I'm in cooperation, it'll happen. Um, when we look at miracles in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, one of the common threads we see is that um, miracles happen as proof of the message, right? Like they happen as proof that the go- uh, of the gospel. So like Jesus proves who he is through miracles. Jesus proves who he is through the resurrection. Jesus proves who he is through these things. And as the disciples are out preaching and teaching and all this, like they prove who they are by miracles. And so like, like this is a part of preaching the gospel, right? Um, there's a tendency sometimes to take these guys like Peter and say, Yes, Peter was this great man, and he was above all of us. And all of, I mean, Peter was a great man. He's a better man than I am. But at the end of the day, he's only like that because Jesus died for him. And Jesus, like, made him into a new creation. Like, he was remade through the blood of Christ into this man who's capable of, of, of serving God in a great way. Um, and we have one last verse in this section, and then we'll start unpacking it and seeing what, what we do with it for us. Um, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Um, oh, why does this matter? Um, tanning is gross. We all like understand that. Modern tanning isn't nearly as bad. In the ancient world, tanning like you were not like you would not be allowed to do tanning in town. Okay, you did tanning way out of town where nobody could smell it. Okay, tanning. Um, if you read the Talmud, this would be the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. The Talmud says, woe to everyone who, does, who is a tanner. Like, because it was assumed that they were never clean, like ceremonially clean, because they handled dead things for a living. And the other thing that happened with that is a lot of how tanning worked involved, like, like you couldn't go to the chemical shop back then. And so in a way, you would, like, make your own chemicals. In, in the case of tanning, you would urinate on stuff. And, and that's how you would tan hides. And so, like, tanning, oh, my gosh. These are not the guys you want to hang out with, right? Like, I, I had a roommate in college who, who grew up in Wisconsin, and his dad was a dairy farmer. And probably for the first, actually, throughout his junior high and high school career, he was a dairy, like, he would go and milk cows every morning, right? And he complained to me once. He's like, man, the worst thing in the world was going to school after milking cows for an hour because you smelled like? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You smelled like, like cow dung, right? Like you smelled bad. He said, it's a really hard thing to ask a girl out when you smell like that. 
It's true. Um, and so Peter is staying there. Why does that matter? Because Peter's staying with a man who is ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Um, Peter is like staying in the house of a guy who would never, ever, ever be accepted in Jewish circles, right? Like he is, he is outside of the comfort zone. Like he is, like he's so far outside of his comfort zone. It's crazy. Um, I'm. I'm gonna. I, I haven't found a text that says this. I'm offering this as my insight. As I was reading that, and I was thinking, well, look, if Luke is offering us parallels between Jesus and um, and his followers, I'd suggest that this is a little like what Jesus did when he was incarnate, right? Like Jesus, who was surrounded by angels from eternity, singing his praises. Jesus, who, you know, whose glory filled the world. You know, through him, all things are created. Like, unclean and sin can't enter his presence without being consumed by his holiness, steps into the world and lives amongst sinful people, right? And so Peter is, is living with a ceremonially, why is up with me today, ceremonially unclean person. Um, and he's, he's, he's about to illustrate a major point. Um, we're about to get permission to eat bacon in the next chapter. It's one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Um, <laughs> and thank you for the amen. I get them once in a while. Um, um, but, but Peter, like by staying in Joppa with his tanner, with Simon the tanner, he demonstrates that he's not concerned about the, the, the old law. He's not concerned about the uncleanliness. He's concerned about the people that he encounters, right? He's concerned about the people that Christ has saved. He's not concerned about outward appearance. He's concerned about what really matters, um, what's inside. Um, so what do we do with this? Um, I, I picked the passages I did to surround this because most of us are not going to go out and heal people. In fact, I am not encouraging you to go out and heal people, okay? If God puts it on you and you actually can heal people, that's a whole thing, right? But for the most part, like most of us don't perform miracles. I don't think we live in that era. Um, I do believe that God calls us to do things that are great in his sight. Um, I do believe that God calls us to share the gospel with folks who would never, ever hear it. I I, uh, I have a video. I let's see if it's going to run for me. Ah, this is. I, there's no sound. I took it off on purpose. Adam and Teal are playing guitar and singing up front, and this is 30. It's actually 35 if you include the young kids, um, worshiping God on Wednesday, right? Um, smiling. Those are Bibles you see there. This is this is 35 kids who heard that Jesus loves them that Jesus carried his sin on the cross for them, that they are saved for eternity if they have faith in him. Like, and they're singing right now. They're actually, what was the song, Teal? Waves of mercy, waves of grace, yeah. And they actually, the cool thing is, this is like, since I've been here six years, we've been doing this, and they all knew the words, Right? And they knew the actions. I didn't see anybody demonstrating actions. But these are kids who year after year come out and they listen to John preach. Right? And they sing with Teal and Adam. These are people who hear the gospel every week. And they will for the next three or four months. Right? Um, you know, my slide's going to... Yay! Um, these are people who Jesus died for that... That, you know, and Jesus said, hey, you will preach to people. You will go out and you will do greater things than me. I think you get folks like like Benny Hinn and guys like that who will come out and try and make big money off of that idea. 
in reality, um, the great thing that we get to do, the great, like greatest thing that we get to do is we get to go to folks who don't know Jesus and tell them about him, right? We get to go to folks who, who like, can be new creations in Christ. Um, people who, what is it Jesus said, suffer not the children from coming from me. Like the value of, of children in God's eyes is enormous. Um, and we get to see these young folks. They hear the gospel. They hear that God loves them. They come to know who Christ is. Um, and we've been doing this for years. Um, this is, and I've watched, John amazes me because I'm not a person who does things consistently over the long term. I'm, I'm terrible that way. John is, John is a guy who, even when there's no one there and it seems like no one's listening, John is excited to preach to him. Right? Like, that's, that's not a cowboy suit that Calvin Coolidge wears, right? That is like cowboy through and through. Except I don't think he's actually a cowboy. But <laughs> that is, that's not Christian outfit you wear one Sunday, right? That's not, I'm going to put on my Christian clothes and I'm going to sing my songs and I'm going to stand up when it's time to stand up and sit down when it's time to sit down. That is like Jesus pouring out of, out of his pores kind of life, right? And you know those folks when you meet them. I, I've talked a couple times about, I had an aunt um, in Germany. My, uh, my grandparents and my um, mother and, and um, not my mother, she wasn't born yet. Actually, my aunts and uncles, they fled uh, Germany before the Iron Curtain came down, and they, they arrived in, in West Germany, and, and they had a, a family member that took them in, and she was always quoting the Bible, and she carried one around with her everywhere, and she wouldn't walk with them in the train station because they smelled bad. Like, that's, that's a Christian costume with a prop, right? That's the prop, right? Like, I... Um, on the way, there was a group of nuns that took in my, my mom's family and risked their lives to help them escape after they'd been abandoned by the guide they had hired. Like, that is Jesus through and through, right? Um, Jesus through and through, like, like not the costume, but the real, real, real thing shows up when we live out Christ's teachings, when we love folks who are unlovable and who are difficult and who make messes, right? When we love folks who are complicated to love. Um, what we see Peter doing there is, is flashy and it's spectacular and it looks amazing and it's exciting. Um, I think the most amazing things Christ did sometimes were the smallest things where he's walking through a crowd of people and, and a woman touches him and is healed and nobody even knows it, right? Until he stops and talks to her, um, when Jesus stood at the well side and nobody witnessed it, but he talked to the, the woman, um, uh, the, the Samaritan woman, and he talked to her about her sin, and he talked to her about salvation, and he talked to her about the day that was coming, right? Like, amazing. Um, my challenge to you, and I think what this text brings us to, is this, like as we unpack it, what Peter was doing was walking in Christ's footsteps. He was living out the body of Christ in action, and it's something we can do. Not that you need to go and heal somebody's children, but we are to pray for them, and sometimes God heals folks, so that's a whole thing. But, like, we feed people who are hungry, right? I mean, Jesus fed 5,000 with a couple of fish and five loaves of bread or something like that, and, and that's an amazing story. But I think it's a pretty amazing story that, like, like believers all over the state contribute to food banks. We have a food bank here, and we feed, you know, like 80 people right now. 
I, it's, it's about 80. And, and you guys are a part of that, right? You guys help feed 80 people every week. Um, there are churches that do more than that. We're, we're the size we are, and we do good stuff. Um, my challenge to you is to look at yourself and ask, like, not do I look like a believer, right? Because I'm going to tell you, I lived that way for years, and it, it about killed me. But, like, inside out, are you emanating Christ? Are you walking in his footsteps in a way that people look at you and they say, that guy looks just like Jesus, right? I mean, I, I'm putting John on the spot. I don't mean to overpraise you because John is John's an impressive guy. John's an impressive guy because Christ is in him, right? Otherwise, John's just a guy. There are a bunch of folks in this room I could say the same thing about. People who are impressive, and I've seen them do awesome stuff and, like, serve people in in sacrificial ways and be holy and forgiving and full of grace. And, like, I've seen so much of that. There's a result of Christ in them coming out from inside, like, shining out. Um, When it's there, you can't hide it. Um, When you're living the other way, when you're Calvin Coolidge in your outfit, you have to constantly work to keep what's really inside hidden and covered. You know what I mean? Anybody ever live that way? If you're in that spot, I want to challenge you um, to take a step in a different direction. For me, it was finding people to confess to and finding people to be accountable to. Um, It was praying earnestly and studying and digesting and becoming a new man. Um, For those of us who are walking in that spot, my challenge to you would be to look for ways to do it more. Um, Good News Club is a fantastic ministry, and they need more folks. And they need people to pray for them. And they need people to help out with snacks. And they need people to help out with cleaning. And they need people to help out with stuff. I mean, there's stuff to do every week. Uh, Youth group is the same way. Jeremy, I I don't see him. Oh, there he is. You don't have a beard anymore. I just keep seeing James when I look back there. Um, (laughs) Jeremy preaches the gospel to a room full of kids every week. And sometimes he loves them when they're pretty unlovable, right? I mean, I've seen it. Um, and it's impressive because once upon a time, Brooke and Renee did the same thing for him when Jeremy was unlovable. Um, there's Christ shining out of you. Our job, guys, church, our job is to imitate Christ. And not to imitate him outwardly, but to imitate him inwardly so that it comes out. Um, we're going to close in prayer, and I'll let you all be. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us today. I pray that you'd be with the, the ministries this church does. I pray that you would fill, uh, fill them with workers who emanate Christ, like who show you and your blood shed for them in everything they do and all of their encounters and all of their, their um, exchanges. Help them to, to be faithful witnesses of your work and your, your, um, your son's death for us, like the redemption that we receive. I pray, Lord, that you would make us into people who love unreasonably the way Christ loved us. Help us to love people that we want to dislike. Help us to love people that are hard to love. Help us to love people that nobody else loves. Um, help us to share the gospel with folks that, that need it desperately. Help us to do it every day, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good day, guys.